Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Long COVID Hope Podcast. I'm Sarah, also known as the Long Haul Yogi, and I'll be doing the hosting throughout the season. This episode is going to be a little bit different. Unlike every other episode, I'm not interviewing anyone. (laughs) Um, I'm going to speak and explain my own story of how I had long COVID and how I overcame long COVID. So it's going to be a little bit different um, from the other episodes, so bear with me. (laughs) I haven't got any notes at all because I wanted to try and continue the kind of conversational style. So firstly, I just wanted to say a few words introducing myself and introducing this podcast idea to you. So I'm obviously, I'm in the UK, I live in um, northern England on the edge of the Peak District National Park and after having recovered from long Covid I have started yoga for long Covid which are weekly classes available on Zoom Um, and I basically decided after feeling well I wanted to do everything I possibly can to try and help all those people still um, suffering from long COVID and other chronic conditions. So this podcast is a part of that, I suppose. The podcast grew out of some initial ideas I had in uh, the autumn of 2022. I think while I was on Twitter and all the other different uh, communities, online communities of long COVID people. I I got the impression, particularly in November, that there was a lot of pessimism and a lot of feels quite bleak, to be honest. And I look at that and, and whilst, you know, I completely acknowledge and understand that perspective and, you know, I was in the trenches for two years myself I also have a different perspective, and um, my, my slightly different perspective is that, yes, I long COVID wrecked my life for two years, but very fortunately, and I'm very grateful for it, um, I have recovered and I'm back. I wouldn't say back to where I was before, I'm actually better than I was before, <laughs> in, in arguably in many, many ways. And I also, through all of this, I have also spoken to lots and lots of long haulers who also recovered fully. And so that was my initial feeling, was that I thought, let's try and bring some other voices, some other narratives about long COVID in, out into the space, you know, whilst you know, I, I, I have no intention of discrediting um, all the many people who are not recovered and whilst I want this to be somewhat optimistic, somewhat uplifting a podcast, I'm I'm not going to shy away from telling the full story. This is not a toxic positivity thing and it's not an ableist endeavour but it is hoping to shine a light on the hopeful fact that there's so many people with long COVID who have recovered fully and there's also so many people with long COVID who okay still have symptoms but have reached a really good place where they're 
you know, doing lots of things, they're feeling pretty good, the symptoms are fairly stable, that there's so much room for optimism. And I just, if there's only one takeaway that anyone <laughs> gets from listening to me today, it's just like, don't give up hope, you know, never give up hope, keep the hope alive, because you don't know what's around the corner, you truly don't. And hopefully through my story today, um, I can illustrate this, that you know, things can be pretty bad. And yet, one way or another, um, obviously, can't not say that it could be luck, it could be time, you know, there's lots of different factors. Um, but you never know, you never know what's around the corner. And so in this season as well, I mentioned it in the trailer, but in this first season of the Long COVID Hope podcast, I decided that I'm going to shine a light entirely on first waivers. Um, and there's some good reasons for this. I don't want to be exclusionary, but at the same time, I think that the first wave of Long COVID was a very particular thing. And I think that you know, the people that got ill at a time when no one was understanding anything um, and, you know, at the very start of the novel coronavirus and, you know, often we weren't getting tested, the tests were not available, often, you know, we were told it's just going to be a temperature or a cough and then it'll be, you'll be fine in two weeks and no problem at all and the first wave has experienced far different symptoms from this I mean sure there are some people that did have a fever did have a cough but <laughs> certainly in my case it was not the case at all and also the first waivers had to encounter all of the all of the you know doctors that were not listening all of the doctors that were gaslighting us um all of the friends and family who who you know were not listening you know, maybe not, still not, in some cases, maybe. But, you know, I think that the first waivers endured a very particular set of circumstances. And I don't want to say, I want to caveat that by saying that the set of circumstances that we encountered, okay, it was a once in 100 years global pandemic, but the post-viral syndromes are not new <laughs> you know that there's unfortunately I'm sure but most people on listening to this will know um you know for decades hundreds of years whatever there's been many many people who also got a virus or you know, had something happen to them and then never recovered and went on to um be um have um MECFS the chronic fatigue syndrome who have fibromyalgia yeah, without reeling off many, many chronic conditions, there's many chronic conditions that have not been well treated by medical science, by research and by um, healthcare, traditional healthcare. So whilst knowledge the first waivers had a very particular thing going on, it was also not brand new. And I know that particular a lot of people, a lot of wonderful people from the MECFS community 
in, were trying to reach out to us from the early days, trying to help, trying to be in solidarity, because obviously they 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 knew <laughs> they they knew what was going to happen, unfortunately, and they also knew how we were going to be treated. So I just want to caveat with that. But yes, in in this season, we're going to be speaking to. I'm going to be speaking to lots of different people, really really interesting people from all over the world in lots of different works of life. A scientist, a university professor, a artist, lots of different perspectives and, and a huge, huge array of different symptom manifestations and also a, a diversity of different treatment options that they tried and things that might have worked out. But I think that one of the things that's that I'm you know, obviously this is not scientific in any means. I don't intend to <laughs> try and do something, you know, scientific or research-based. But I wonder, as these interviews, this collection of interviews grows, we won't, we would see a few patterns emerging um, in what people tried that actually has helped them. I 100% am not a healthcare professional. I'm not offering healthcare advice. Always speak to your doctor. Don't do what random things are said on a podcast. Um, I do think that that there are some interesting patterns, particularly in areas of alternative medicine and functional medicine. So anyway, that's my little rambling introduction <laughs> to long COVID podcast. And I'm going to get started with talking about my own story of what what happened, what happened with me. So like I said, I'm Sarah. So prior to catching COVID in March 2020, um, I was actually on maternity leave. Daughter, eight months old, a baby, um, when I first caught COVID. And so I was actually spending, um, so that spring... I was spending my time on long hikes with her, with her in the baby carrier, you know, hikes in the woods, hikes in the Peak District, having, let's just say, a very full life. Obviously, as a new mum, or the up in the night and everything that involves you know, with a baby. Um, but yes, my life was very full and I was very active, practicing yoga every day, having a nice time. And then 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 it all struck. I mean I, I was one of the early ones. I have I'm avid uh, newspaper reader and I have a New York Times subscription, uh, the Atlantic subscription amongst other things. Um and so I was watching uh December, January time in the news about what was happening in Wuhan and in China and I was starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable, to say the least. But obviously, like most people, we just didn't really know what was unfolding right here in the UK through the early start of 2020. But where it started for me, my first symptoms began on Friday the 13th, March 2020. And I say Friday the 13th. Did you know there are there are two two Friday the 13th in 2020? I think that speaks volumes. And March 13th, 13th of March, uh, I know so many long callers 
particularly in the UK, I think that that was the day that their symptoms began. COVID came and hit me like a ton of bricks, to be honest. I, and well, as I mentioned in the introduction before, I think for at least a year we were being told that it was just symptoms were a high temperature, a continuous cough, and one other thing that escapes me right now. But I had none of those. I actually felt freezing cold. I started, so I had my first this thing. I was doing a yoga meditation on that Friday night, and I was lying there in Shavasana in the in the relaxation meditation pose, and I was breathing, focusing on my breathing, and I could feel I could feel like a niggling in my chest. I felt it. I felt a strange sensation as I was breathing, and I think. Because I'm pretty clued in to my body, I noticed this right away. I think I think I, I guess as soon as I um, had caught COVID, I, I felt it in my chest, in my lungs, and over that weekend, it, it ramped up pretty quickly. Um, like I said, I was freezing cold. I was shivering. I could not get warm, and it just went for my it just went for my lungs like a ton of bricks. Um, I had really bad shortness of breath I had horrendous chest pain it it felt like um an elephant was on my chest it also felt I had like like an intense like clamping sensation all around my ribs my lower ribs like squeezing and it felt like this there was like something squeezing squeezing and and it was just absolutely horrendous I just couldn't breathe and it was it was terrifying. It was terrifying as well, of course, because my partner also became ill and he, he had a more classical presentation. He did have the cough. He did have the fever. He had um, a lot of sweating. He had like burning feet. It's something that he always talks about, a burning feet sensation. And sadly, um, my, my daughter, um, she also caught it, my baby girl. So she also was very lethargic and wouldn't want to eat. She we were breastfeeding at the time and and she was refusing um, to have milk. So the whole thing, you know, it hit the three of us together and it was very very scary. And I tried to seek help. I tried to seek help because I was really struggling to breathe. And it got to the point where I was lying on my side in bed and I was just focusing on every breath, like ensuring that I kept breathing, which is just, you know, terrifying when you've got a when you've got a baby right there. And I, I was seeking help, but the help was not was not readily available. It was I mean we, we caught COVID I think I think it was at least ten days before the national lockdown began here, um, in the UK, but the health system was already in a kind of emergency mode and when I tried to access the services um, I was just turned away I was turned away because of being of my age being in my 30s um, I wasn't seen as as being you know someone at risk so I was struggling in my home and I had intense fatigue. I'm trying to recall all the things. It's, it's a, to be honest, it's a little hard to talk about this stuff because obviously it kind of brings it back and it was traumatic. But I mean, maybe accelerate it a little bit further. So, two weeks into the acute phase, so my partner had thankfully fully recovered, we thought, and my daughter fully recovered. Fantastic. 
um, but I was in bed very, very, very ill. And I actually, my lungs, it developed into a double pneumonia. And we actually, we were calling up for help and um, paramedics came around. So I had an ambulance called in the end and my um, pulse ox was 88 and I was taken to hospital. But um, despite my presentation and everything, they they would not admit me and they wouldn't even do me a test. They, they, I, wasn't, I was never able to get a test which is obviously very, very common in the first wave that tests were just not, not readily available. But also I, was in, I went to hospital, went to A&E, ER, and they gave me broad spectrum antibiotics. I got a few antibiotics. I can't remember what they were. Obviously, it was incredibly ill at the time. Didn't write it down. Um, but I got various things prescribed and I was sent home. Unfortunately for me, the antibiotics worked and I slowly, I slowly got a bit better, but I had, you know, pneumonia, pneumonia is not fun. It's incredibly painful. It sounds horrendous. The whole thing is intense. So anyway, so from the, from the, from the worst of times, I, I fortunately, or, you know, for, uh, so I thought, I, I, I thought I was recovered. I thought it took a, it took a, you know, several weeks but um, obviously antibiotics worked and I, I tried to get back into my everyday life as much as I could um, with with my daughter on maternity leave. And then I decided to take her for a walk like we'd always, always done. And I had no idea at the time how bad idea that was <laughs> to go for a long hike um, in the countryside with nine month old strapped to me. Um, but I did, and that was a big, big mistake because it was a blazing hot day, and it was a it was a an intense hike that I did, and then that evening, that's when long COVID began for me. I had crazy tachycardia, I had chest pain, I had, and then the that's when the chronic fatigue began, crushing fatigue. I felt like I was dying basically I had no idea what I'd done to myself at the time obviously um it was my first uh, post-exertional malaise episode but I had no idea <laughs> and that's and that's how uh, my long Covid began really so I think it was around May so I'm a bit hazy on those act dates <laughs> and I think the whole long Covid experience is hazy generally so bear with me <laughs> but essentially I you know caught COVID in March 2020 the long COVID began in earnest about early May and then um and then I was I was ill for a very long time and I mean one of one of the first things was the POTS um the post um postural orthostatic um, tachycardia syndrome so that was apparent right away I couldn't stand up without fainting. I and I had had crazy chest pain. I wonder now if it was uh, myocarditis. I, I was never tested for that, um, but that's what I wonder what happened. Having spoken to lots of people who were diagnosed with myocarditis, because I had incredible uh, pain right in my heart centre, particularly when I was bending over or trying to walk upstairs. I mean, I was terribly ill um stairs 
in particular I would I would I would sit on the stairs and like have to shuffle up and down on my on my bum so it quickly became apparent that I was too ill to look after my daughter um and so I mean my partner was working from home as pretty much everybody was apart from um people who um key worker positions so he managed to somehow <laughs> manage to look after our child and also try and work because I was I was in bed very very ill and me being me I was kept on trying to exercise my way out of it <laughs> um primarily with yoga and again and again and again I was obviously just setting myself back every time I, I felt like I was having a good day I do too much and then have a giant relapse obviously a very very common story so I tried to get help from um, a GP uh, primary care that's when the gaslighting began um, so I, I spoke to them and I was like I can't breathe I you know, said that my pulse is racing everything's not right I, I, I can't stand up without being very dizzy what's going on and my GP kept on saying to me that it sounded like anxiety and she said just take deep breaths everyone's everyone's anxious at the moment we're in a pandemic everyone's anxious just take deep breaths and and you'll be better and well I mean I still have not written the complaint letter but I really ought to do that one day because that could not have been further from the truth so I felt very very alone in those early days and I have Ed Young um, from the Atlantic to thank for helping me realise that it wasn't just me <laughs> that it was happening to. And in fact, there was a community building fire body politics slack group. I, I saw the Atlantic article basically saying they caught COVID and then they've not got better. Again, I think this was May-ish time, maybe late May at this point. And so I joined the Slack group and, oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it's kind of horrifying to to sign into something and, 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 and suddenly see all these other people who were struggling as much as I was, or, or more so even in some cases. But at the same time, it was fantastic to have a place, a place where people understood or understood as much as anyone could understand at that point what was going on. And I'm so grateful, so, so grateful to all of Body Politic, everyone involved in in that. I don't know how I would have made it to this point without the Slack group. I, honest to God, I, I don't know if, if I would have. <laughs> but I did, I found them. And that's when I started receiving great information. Obviously, some other people who did have doctors who were listening to them, uh, we're giving better information and that's how I learnt about POTS and that's how I learnt to advocate for myself to get a tilt table test and start the lifestyle um, changes for POTS such as sitting up in bed and drinking a pint of water before trying and, and sitting for 10 minutes before trying to stand up and obviously adding electrolytes, adding salt into your drinks the compression, socks, so I learnt all of these things through body politic. And so by the time that the 
tilt table test rolled around in September 2020, which, by the way, was a horrific experience in itself and kind of like torture. It, it honestly is like a kind of torture if you have dysautonomia. I don't know why they insist on doing that to people. But anyway, <laughs> I actually, um, I fainted in, 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 I think I made it to 15 minutes tilt table test before I before I passed out it was horrific and I felt ill I felt nauseous and, and severely ill for a whole month after the tilt table test um so it affected me really badly but at least I then got a diagnosis and that's how things ball started to roll in terms of actually speaking to professionals and getting some more help. When the long COVID clinic started, I was able to be referred to the long COVID clinic. I have some mixed feelings about the long COVID clinic. The one that I was at is basically run by one physiotherapist. Um, so the physio gave me some interesting pointers about dysfunctional breathing. So at the time, my um, I think because of post pneumonia and everything, my breathing was all in the upper chest I could not belly breathe and I also couldn't breathe through my nose I was only breathing through my mouth and wearing a mask a face mask was very hard very 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 hard for me at that time so one thing I would credit the long covid clinic with is that the physio um, gave me lots of really good pointers about dysfunctional breathing and um, strengthening the muscles in the right way um, to get out of the chest, the upper chest breathing, which obviously breathing is pretty essential. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad that I managed to get that resolved. But the long COVID clinic was not exactly like a panacea. It wasn't massively helpful. I mean, obviously, again, with a a novel virus no one really understood what's happening and we were you know in the first wave we were the pioneers of this whole thing and so no one really knew no one knew how covid was going to affect us obviously they could look to SARS-1 but there weren't that many people that got ill with SARS-1 it was not there was not um, it's not entirely you know comparable the data the data's there but it's not vast you know <laughs> they didn't 100% know so I was in the medical system, but the, med the medical system didn't really know what to do. And, you know, in many ways, now in early 2023, it, arguably they're not masses further in many ways, which is a distressing idea. <laughs> but um, let's be honest. So I was really struggling with chronic fatigue. And it was actually in the spring of... 2021 that the my referral to the fatigue clinic came through and the fatigue clinic was a mixed bag to say the least because the fatigue clinic was still working on the principle of the old um, NHS NICE guidelines about creating exercise therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy um, which as we now are very aware was a massive injustice to the MECFS community and are not recommended. I mean obviously CBT fine it's not going to fix anything but it's not going to necessarily make you worse but graded exercise therapy will get for short does make you worse and 
Oh. <laughs> the fatigue clinic, they put me on... I think they called it something different. I think they didn't call it grade exercise therapy, but they called it like increasing activity management plan or something. <laughs> it was basically get. And so what happened was they said, okay, you can walk. At the moment you can walk, um, I don't know what it was, 10 minutes. So so from now on, you can every day walk 10 minutes. And then, and then um, so on one day, you're going to walk 10 minutes. Next day, you're going to walk 15 minutes. Next day, you're going to walk 10 minutes. And then 25 minutes. And, well, I'm sure you, a lot of people listening will know what happened next. That's just not possible. And I would caution anyone listening, don't follow any prescribed exercise plan like this. Always listen to your body. Your body is going to tell you. Your body is going to tell you if it's something that is too much, listen to your body and don't ever, ever, ever push through anything because you can make yourself much worse. And unfortunately, I, <laughs> yeah, the, the fatigue clinic and all that infinite wisdom did set me back. But I, I just say it's mixed because through the, the, uh, the fatigue clinic, I did learn some things that were useful for fatigue and you know pacing and fatigue management and and they helped me to realize actually that up until that point I basically was giving myself PEM post-social malaise every single day and I was basically running on adrenaline um the whole time um because obviously I had I had a child and I was trying to I was trying to do I was trying to get back into my life a variety of ways trying to work and and obviously, I was, I was, you know, I, I, I was doing things in the morning, and in the afternoon I would crash out, and then I would spend the rest of the afternoon, evening in bed, often in bed without being able to do anything. Or, you know, when when you have a fatigue crash, when I had fatigue crashes, it basically involved me having to be lying horizontal in a dark room with earplugs and an eye mask over my eyes because I could not cope with anything and I would just lie there completely still and listen to meditations and that's all I did. So yeah, so the so fatigue link helped me to understand that what I was doing to myself was actually making myself more and more worse and so I was learning about pacing and, and honestly I think one of the core concepts that I didn't understand at all as well is that exertion is not just physical, it's also mental and it's also emotional. I think the emotional piece is something that, that gets a lot of people stuck because obviously, and understandably, <laughs> you know, you're chronically ill, you're chronically in pain, you've got a million things wrong with you, it's going to make you upset and it's going to make you angry and all the rest of it. But I think when I realised that constantly being upset and constantly feeling guilty and, and all the rest of it, constantly, my emotions were all over the place. And once I realised that, I thought, okay, I'm going to focus my guided meditation sessions on positivity meditations, on meditations that are going to lift me up and going to make bring my emotional states into a more even keel. And that was a huge 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 stepping stone for me and I also learned about so so I learned uh, about the being crashed out every day 
but also I learned about how to pace activity throughout the day, throughout every day, and the day should be the same unless unless you've got something that you're going on and then you pace before and you pace after. But basically through learning about that, I developed a method that worked for me, which basically involved little bits of activity through the day, but with 10 to 12 rests, full rests every day where I would just lie down for 20 to 30 minutes, do my guided meditation. Meditation was such a saving grace for me and I actually wonder, you know, you hear about, you know, rewire your brain and da 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 and all of these expensive plans, but I actually wonder if (laughs) I managed to kind of rewire my brain myself um, through all, through a huge, huge amount of guided meditations. I became really very zen. <laughs> and I think that's a, a big piece of what I'm trying to do to help others now, to be honest. <laughs> it's because the, the, so the meditation pit stops through the day really helped. And it, and and increasingly, I got to a point where... I said this is over months as well, months and months, months. But it got to a point where the, the post-social malaise was getting fewer and fewer between so also so after the fatigue clinic put me on a get plan and I realized this I actually unenrolled myself so I began to enroll myself after the second appointment and um that's when I thought okay I'm going to throw myself headlong into functional medicine you know I'd read on Slack about different um functional doctors and so I started here in the UK, there's someone called Dr. Sarah Myhill, and so I so and she's got a really really great website by the way, and all of her information is on the website or on YouTube, uh, like YouTube interviews. You can find so much, and so I just started to read Sarah Myhill's website, and I decided okay, she gives a plan of what to do with chronic fatigue syndrome, and so I just started doing it at Finance and Tarsinka. The first thing I did was added um, D ribose. Um, it's like a powder. It's powder derived from corn, a corn derivative. Um, so I started um, using that three times a day, and like she says. And then I, I think I did. I started that, and then a couple of weeks later, I started the paleo keto diet that she recommends. And I'll be honest, the keto diet did help me. And I was on the keto diet for about nine months. And I, you know, I did see things happening, um, the weight that I'd gained. So by the way, I'd ga- I, I, by the time that I was seeing the fatigue clinic, I'd gained um, up to 200 pounds, which was more than I weighed nine months pregnant. Um, so I, I know, obviously, for speaking to many people, um, that with long haulers, it can go either way. Um, and a lot of people can't eat and, and, and the weight falls off and they can't gain weight. For me, it was the opposite. And with keto, it just it just evaporated, um, which was not obviously not my intention for doing it. My intention for doing it was to sort out the fatigue. But what I'd say about keto and everything that Sarah Myhill recommends is it's hard to do. And I think something that I've learned and in hindsight is that what keto helped me to do was to remove from my diet the things that I couldn't handle eating I couldn't tolerate eating so for me a big big part of that is gluten and so when so I think keto is obviously gluten free by default no carbs and I think it was going gluten free through keto that that was a big big 
um, positive thing for me. And also I went dairy-free through keto and um, sugar-free through keto. So I think I think it was actually removing gluten, removing sugar um, from my diet, um, to a lesser extent dairy, removing that. Um, those were the things that moved the needle for me. And I'm back. I took a little break in between these two sections. I didn't realise, actually, maybe naively, how difficult it was going to be to talk through all of this, all of my experience. And just want to say to those out there who are a bit traumatised by both their acute phase and their long COVID chronic illness experience, I see you. And I am the same. <laughs> I it's probably a good segue actually to mention that I did receive therapy through long COVID. I actually sought out um, a EMDR therapist. Um, EMDR is about rapid eye movements, um, but it's meant to desensitize you to traumatic events and. I have to say, without a shadow of a doubt, that it massively, massively helped me deal with the experience of feeling like I was going to die and leave my baby, pure and simple. And it really, like I wouldn't have been able to even say that a sentence before doing the therapy without bursting into tears. So I'd just like to say anyone out there who is still feeling a lot, which I I'm sure everyone's feeling a lot, but you know what I mean? If you're feeling mentally not great, I would strongly advocate speaking to somebody, speaking to a professional about it. Don't suffer in silence. At least speak to your you know, close family, friends. Something I wanted to stress before I turn back to the whole gut situation, something I really wanted to stress was about the fact that my long COVID experience was greatly impacted by being a mum, being a new mum. And whilst I acknowledge the pain and the, yeah, I'm going to call it grief, the grief of spending so much time away from her when I was bed bound, when her dad was looking after her. I also think that she, uh, my daughter, really drove me, drove me to, to know that I could not... I, I, had, I had to persevere, basically. I had to persevere and I had to keep the hope alive for her, for her future. And I think that some of what I prioritised in, in the day-to-day, despite chronic fatigue and huge amounts of pain and everything, some of the things I prioritised was for her benefit. You know, I... I made a thing about trying to get out of the house with her as often as possible, whether it was sitting in the garden or, um, I mean, I'm fortunate, very fortunate, I know that I was able to keep driving. And so I would drive her to the park and we would do very kind of bare minimal things, but like, I, you know, I, I, I was out and about and she kind of forced me to you know walk more than I might have you know like (laughs) sometimes having to run after her if she was going towards the river at the park or something like that and I also learnt a variety of coping 
mechanisms as well. Obviously, when you're at home, you can just lie flat on the on the floor, on the, the chair, the sofa next to her. Um, I did that, offer that a lot, a lot, and we, to be honest, we did a lot more screen time than I ever expected. But you know, such is life, and needs must. And but also, like at the park, I you know recognised particularly with feeling dizzy and faint from pots about just squatting down wherever I was I would like probably maybe people thought I looked weird but I frankly did not care at all but I would squat do little like yoga squats whilst pushing on the swing and do squats while watching her come down the slide you know just doing whatever in order to make it work I also found that pushing her in the pushchair and the stroller, like the stroller was too heavy and it was adding to the exertion. But we also got her for her birthday. We got her a little pushing, like a like a tricycle with with a handle. So the so they're strapped in and you can push them around. And the tricycle I found so much lighter and also just so much easier to to move basically to navigate and so that really kind of opened our horizons as well uh, me and her so I just wanted to shout out to my beautiful daughter I think all of this all of the motivation really came from being her mum and wanting the just wanting to be there in in every way shape or form I can whilst we're talking about this to a really wonderful support community on Facebook called I think it's called MECFS Parents UK and they were so helpful with all of this so so helpful with providing ideas for things to do within the realms of MECFS management and also the support of people saying it's okay it's okay if she watched TV today and I just want to say like I'm really glad <laughs> that they were there and I would say anyone any parent listening to this um, I would recommend checking out that Facebook group because they were so, so helpful and lovely. OK, so I'm going to return back to where I was about the gut without harping on too much. I might put in the show notes. I might put in the episode notes, some links to the Dr. Myhill website, things about fermenting gut, about leaky gut, both of which I definitely had. I also, I think something that really helped as well as the, so D-ribose 100% helped me and the going gluten-free, going dairy-free really helped me, but also probiotics, food-based probiotics. <laughs> I can't stress enough. So I was using up until I think we we're about a year into my long COVID experience, maybe a year and a bit at this point but up until that point I'd been taking religiously probiotic capsules little did I know that most of the time these are dead and doing absolutely nothing and I was actually watching also a really great resource on YouTube is Raylan Agle's YouTube channel so Raylan Agle is a fully recovered uh, MECFS person and she had MECFS I'm not sure, I can't, I can't remember exactly, but for several years at least, and was very, very, very um, disabled by it. Um, but she managed to fully recover. And she has a wonderful YouTube channel with so many helpful resources. And something that she advocated on there was for food-based probiotics. She even advocates for doing your own at home, but I, I never got that far. <laughs> 
But I started, I basically, from the shop, I started to buy sauerkraut, I started to buy kefir and kombucha. Obviously, some of this is not very keto-friendly, so some of it I could only have in small portions. But something that happened to me was, I so I, t- <laughs> I drank a whole bottle of kombucha, which is a fermented green tea, and I did not realise how bad of an idea that was. <laughs> I would say that kombucha is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful for replenishing your your healthy, happy gut bacteria, but please proceed with caution if you're trying that. Um, I would now say maybe a tablespoon of kombucha and see how that hangs with you, because I basically, I, I set off a Herx reaction in my body, which felt like I was going to die for a few days no joke I it was horrendous but one positive I take away from the Herx reaction was showing me just how messed up my gut microbiome truly was the fact that that um, replenishing it with good with good bacteria did a huge number on me obviously there was so much bad bacteria that would, would like colonize my system so yeah after after I recovered from the Herx reaction I carried on with probiotics every single day sometimes multiple times a day I kept going with food-based probiotics no more capsules those are nonsense and also supporting it with um, lots of prebiotics as well so prebiotics are foods that that help to keep the good bacteria alive Um, examples are nuts seeds vegetables, um, non-soluble fibre, things like that. It was great. And returning back to, to Raylan's um, YouTube, she was really saying that, uh, you know, a lot of people that have recovered from chronic fatigue, that was a, like a really big stepping stone for them to fix their gut. And, you know, my my personal experience tallied up with that. And so fixing my gut, doing these things. I also started a smoothies for breakfast thing. I started it as a way to get lots of uh, prebiotics inside me, basically. Um, lots of like um, coriander, like fresh coriander, cilantro, lots of parsley, you know, cucumber, avocado, all this good stuff, right? But I quickly realised, oh, having a, having a homemade smoothie, okay, there's a little bit of prep work there, but you can also do things in a fancy batch prepare. I realised, wow, you don't have to chew, and like, and then it was easier to digest. And I thought, wow, th- there's less spoons being used up with this. And so I really lent into smoothies, and I kind of feel like, for me personally, smoothies were like my chicken soup. <laughs> you know, a lot of people um, went have gone to, you know, the soup-based diets, and I think my, my version of that was smoothies, to be quite frank. Okay, one last note about what I learned from Dr. Myhill and then we'll get back to back to movement, back to um, movement and exercise. I will say that it's hard to talk about these things and it, I guess it's easier now that there are so many people, unfortunately, so many people probably listening to this too, hello if you're there, so many people with um, vaccine injuries. So after my first Pfizer jab, um, that was the start of my neuropathy, my peripheral neuropathy. Basically, my body um, began to buzz all over and I had um, pins and uh, constant pins and needles in the soles of my feet, sensations all up my legs, all up my arms and hands. 
and eventually um, over time so this is frankly nerve damage right this is nerve damage um, over time, I, I started to get numbness in the soles of my feet and the sides of my hands. So things were getting really, really bad with my um, nervous system, right? And I, I do think, as controversial as it might be, I do think that the Pfizer jabs were directly responsible for that. But of course, it didn't help. I had long COVID already. But I found that I found the fix for it. I found what cured me. And to be honest, it was in fact also from Dr. Myhill B12 injections. Dr. Myhill advocates for B12 injections for all of her MECFS patients, regardless of their kind of B12 level status. I did go and check with my doctor about my B12 level before I got started, and it was 250, which is the low end of normal in the UK. But in other countries, the low end of normal is more like 500 or 600. And for people with peripheral neuropathy, with, with nerve damage, they should actually have levels of 900 or 1,000 to re- repair their, their nerve. Cut a long story short, I started the injections. I started them myself, again, using a Facebook group, a wonderful Facebook group um, full of people that really know what they're talking about. And uh, I also did all the cofactors. It's really important that if anyone's interested in this, to look into it carefully because it's important to do it right. Um, I did all the cofactors, the high-dose folate, high-dose potassium, high-dose magnesium, etc. It, it, it does take, I want to say, at least a month, if not two months, to notice anything happening. But I was so desperate. To be honest, I, I was at the point where I was struggling to walk on my on the soles of my feet because I had con- I had constant pins and needles you know the pins and needles where you're like ah I had constant pins and needles and then I also was developing this numb sensation so I was completely desperate to be frank I was desperate and so I just carried on and then I started to have the wake up symptoms the so wake up symptoms are actually when so the nerves are starting to repair and it can actually feel worse before it feels better so I had, I had the wake up symptoms. The people on Facebook group was going, keep going, keep going. You're, you're doing fine, just keep going. And so I kept going. And lo and behold, still doing B12 injections now, by the way, but lo and behold, it fixed it all. No more pain, no more buzzing, certainly no more numbness. Like it it, it fixed the issue. It's a big, big part of my own journey. And to be fair, I mean, Dr. Myhall says B12 is great for fatigue as well and I think all of these things really helped me to get back to a fuller life and that included back to movement. I did have some forays into trying yoga at home and failing miserably because they would have kept setting me back. I also was walking I was walking at the park with my daughter doing this and that. I did try and slowly increase the walking. I did it myself totally not listening to the great exercise therapy but just just kind of listening mindfully to my own body and doing what I felt I was capable of doing and I just walking on the flat um, no inclines walking at a pace that I was comfortable with building it up bit by bit it got to the point where I can't remember exactly when it was I guess in must have been autumn 2021 I, I actually did a five mile walk out in the Peak District and that kind of completely blew me away because I think up until that point you know I've been dabbling in two mile walks and three mile walk trying to 
keep things going. But that was a massive turning point. It was a turning point for my confidence too, right? Absolutely for my confidence. Something else that Roland Agle talks about on YouTube is about needing, with chronic fatigue, your muscles um, are not being used and your muscles are like hyper responsive and 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 she she advocated for just doing one minute a day of her own weight resistance training exercise so for instance i don't know holding a plank or doing one squat you know a series of squats just just one exercise and literally set a timer for 60 seconds and just do that only and, and and so I started doing that. Lo and behold, I I didn't crash. I I and my my body was responding, and I started to feel a bit stronger. And so I think after two or three weeks of not crashing and um, not having any symptoms flare-ups, I then added an extra minute. So I did two minutes a day of resistance training and so on and so forth and so gradually listening to my body not pushing myself at all but just listening to my body listening to what my body felt like it needed I eventually built it up to 15 minutes own uh, weight resistance training and then I also bought I've got some resistance bands I, I bought you know the different colors of like these rubber bands and I just started with the with the lowest resistance colour and I just started to just again just add that into the daily routine and so that was really really fantastic and alongside that I was also making headway with learning about what worked with yoga. I did a lot of bed yoga, a lot of lying down yoga. I realised that any standing positions were completely out for me and any bending over positions completely out for me so like in, they call it inversions in yoga you know increasing that doing really really well and so it got to the point where I was in fact you know I was I, I was I was walking significant distances I was practicing yoga every day again and and I thought okay and and that was about this takes me up to January 2022 which is actually around this time was the point of my very last PEM post-exertional malaise episode which to be fair is about the next topic but I decided okay let's see the the long covid clinic were talking to me about a program at the local gym to, to try and get you back into exercise and I was dubious about this but I went along and it was fantastic the the personal trainer that I had that, that ran this exercise program Shout out to Lucy, SIV, if you're listening. Thank you so much. So the, the personal trainer at the gym actually has MECFS herself. And so she understood completely fully. She understood about MECFS. She understood about POTS. She understood it all. And I was like super delighted. And so basically she started me off on a very small amount, basically in the gym. I think it was something like... I think the first one she did was eight minutes of a seated cardio, like a stationary bicycle, and eight minutes of uh, some um, resistance training, because obviously I talked to her about doing resistance training at home. So as I started off doing the cardio, and to be fair, it was the very first time I'd attempted cardio in quite some time. And I would I would say to anyone listening, don't try cardio until you like feel 
basically recovered, like 80 to 90% recovered. Seriously, it's not worth it to try to set you back if, if you're not at that point. But I was at that point. Um, but actually that that first that first attempt led to my to my last ever post-exertional malaise <laughs> episode. And so I, I called Lucy and I said, oh, this has happened. And she was like, oh, terribly sorry, we, we, we've just gone into your heart. And so she halved the amount of cardio. And so I tried again uh, when I felt a bit better for two weeks time or something like that. And then, so I just, I, I started off with literally four minutes on the stationary bike and and that worked. And so for a few weeks, I would keep going back to the gym this is with a mask, by the way, and at the quiet times, and I would be doing this little routine that Lucy had um, created for me. And I, I was doing really, really well with this, and it was going well, and I felt good. And so then, so, so she, what she did was she, a, a bit like the resistance training I did at home, she started to say, okay, try one minute more, try one minute more. And so we, we gradually, over time, increased the amount of minutes I want to say up until 20 minutes so it was 10 minutes cardio 10 minutes resistance training on each trip to the gym and so that was going really well and she was like brilliant so 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 obviously my energy envelope had been increasing and things were going well my body was not telling me stop so at that point Lucy said okay we're going to split the sessions in two so you'll do two gym sessions a week and so do half, so like do cardio on one day, and just training on the other day. And so see how body responds to that. And so I started that and that was well. And so cut a very long story short, over time and with, with the support of the personal trainer, I built up to doing like a 30 minute cardio at the gym. Like seriously, like treadmills, you name it. I like it. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm beaming just thinking about this because obviously it was brilliant for me, and I just wanted to share that that this is possible. It's possible, right? And then when I graduated from Lucy's program, that's when I started the Couch to Five K program because I was enjoying working on the treadmill and I wanted to run outside and continue this. And so I did the, um, it's called Non to Run, Non Non, and then Two, the numerical to Run. And it's a it's a it's a lot more gentle than the standard couch to 5k, and it also incorporates resistance training. And both of those concepts speak to me with the long COVID journey. So I did non to run, I did the couch to 5k, and and that that brings me up to the present day really. So it's now it's now January 2023. So my last PEM episode was a year ago. And I have been living a full life, guys. <laughs> I'm delighted to say. And I started a yoga venture trying to help other non-callers called Yoga for Long COVID. Been hosting classes on Zoom and now classes in person, trying to help other people. I've been building up meditations and insight timer, you know, you name it. I've been doing more and more and more, and my body has been fine it's fine. I mean, granted, I am still careful about pacing. So I still incorporate rest periods in my days. I still take time to do guided meditations to fully relax my body. 
and I still I still have probiotics foods every day I still do b12 injections you know I do the things that I know support my body but things things are things are great and late last year we went on a couple of vacations abroad holidays abroad times during long covid I wondered if I would ever go on a plane again I mean obviously there's a whole other situation about being frightened of being at airports and planes and everything but covid still being out there but you know I did these things and just living a full full life and yeah that just brings me back full circle to what I'm doing this for I really hope that the stories that we share in this podcast whether it's people who have fully recovered or are in remission whichever you want to call it I don't mind which or people who are at a good place in their healing journeys and yeah I just I just really hope I hope (laughs) I hope that you keep the hope alive and find a place of a place of of acceptance with whatever you're currently at and know that nothing is forever even chronic illness doesn't have to be forever guys you know no one day is the same there there are help there is help coming there's there's loads of research there's loads of clinical trials and there's lots of help like I said there's lots of help from functional medicine and for alternative therapies already you know definitely don't feel like there's nothing you just I think that the sources are just a little less conventional to how traditional medicine generally operates but there is help out there and things do work so yes I'm going to end there. I, I really hope that you found this okay. It's the, it's the only episode that's going to be just me talking. All the other episodes are quite different with interviews, which are a lot more dynamic, I think. Guys, I just take care of yourselves. Keep smiling and keep that hope alive. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Long Covid Hope podcast today. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed listening and got something out of it. Please note we are not medical professionals and this does not constitute medical advice. Always speak to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any new treatment, supplements or beginning a new exercise routine. You can learn about me, Sarah, the long haul yogi, via my link tree, which is linktree.com forward slash long haul yogi. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the same long haul yogi handle. I offer weekly yoga for long COVID sessions most Thursdays, which are online via Zoom and are completely open access and donation based. I also have an on-demand yoga series, which you can purchase and tune into at your own time. I'm on YouTube, I'm on Insight Timer, and I do some private classes as well. All of the Yoga for Long COVID series is incredibly gentle and focused on listening to your body and going at your own pace. Again, all of this good stuff can be found at linktree.com forward slash longhauljogi. If you'd like to make a donation in support of this podcast, you can find the link to buy me a chai on Linktree as well. Thank you in advance for any donations. They're gratefully received and really do help me to build on and improve this podcast. Lastly, I wanted to say to you, wherever you are in your long COVID or chronic health journey, know that things can improve. Keep the hope alive. Speak to you next time.